0: Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat, like The Guest List by Lucy Foley.
1: Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, yet another bombshell for America to deal with as the government and campaign 2020 are thrown into turmoil after the president contracts COVID-19. For a president who thrives on creating chaos, his diagnosis has inadvertently shifted the course of the last month of campaign 2020 and created a crisis in government. What's making matters worse? The administration's dramatically conflicting reports on the president's condition. 24 hours after being admitted to Walter Reed Hospital, Mr. Trump took to social media to contradict his own chief of staff.
2: I came here,
3: wasn't feeling so well. I feel much better now. But the mystery of
1: where, when, and from whom he contracted the virus is growing, as is the number of those in Mr. Trump's inner circle who have tested positive. The race to contact trace is now potentially a matter of life or death, as attendees from all three branches of government attended this Rose Garden event a week ago. Now an additional Republican senator has also contracted the virus, potentially spreading it further on Capitol Hill. It's a sobering development for a White House that has downplayed the severity of the virus.
4: This is not a matter of politics. It's a bracing reminder to all of us that we have to take this virus seriously.
1: We'll talk with White House National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, plus House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb will be with us, as well as the head of one of the largest testing labs in the U.S., Adam Schechter of LabCorp. Plus, a Face the Nation focus group, 2020 style. Can I see a show of hands um, from those of you who believe that the news of the president's illness will affect the presidential campaign?
3: So, when I heard that he had coronavirus, I guess I was. I wasn't surprised.
5: Well, I'm a firm believer in karma. I just am. Um, the president just have never taken this seriously.
1: It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning, and welcome to Face the Nation. As we come on the air, the country is facing yet another unprecedented crisis as President Trump remains hospitalized at Walter Reed Medical Center. And there are new questions this morning about how the administration is handling his case. We begin today with White House correspondent Weeja Jang.
6: From his suite at Walter Reed Medical Center, President Trump took to Twitter last night so to I say he's to feeling better, I'm but acknowledged his condition good. could take a turn. Uh,
7: you don't know over the next period of a few days, I guess that's the real test.
6: The president's address capped off a day of mixed messaging from the White House. President Trump's doctors painted an optimistic picture of his health. This morning, the president is doing very well. CBS News has learned the president did receive oxygen at the White House Friday before leaving for Walter Reed. And just 10 minutes after the medical briefing wrapped up on Saturday, a person familiar with the president's health, identified by the Associated Press as Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, told reporters his vitals over the last 24 hours were very concerning. We're still not on a clear path to a full recovery. The president revealed he and the First Lady have the coronavirus in an early morning tweet on Friday. They are at the top of a growing list of people who have tested positive after attending last Saturday's Rose Garden event, where President Trump nominated his new Supreme Court Justice, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. President Trump's former adviser, Kellyanne Conway, and Chris Christie said they have the virus. Yesterday, the former New Jersey governor tweeted that he checked himself into the hospital due to his history of asthma. (laughs) Utah Senator Mike Lee and North Carolina Senator Tom Tillis also tested positive after attending the event. And now Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson has contracted the virus. Despite those lawmakers getting sick, GOP Senate leaders are moving forward with Barrett's nomination as scheduled. They hold a slim three-seat majority, and a final vote only counts if it's cast in person. So if the virus continues to spread, it could cripple Barrett's chances. President Trump's doctors say he is doing better, but he's not out of the woods yet. He spent his second night at Walter Reed last night, and we are awaiting an update from his medical team this morning. Margaret?
1: Weijia Jiang, thank you. We go now to the White House and National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien. Good morning to you, Ambassador.
8: Good morning to you, Margaret. Uh, Beautiful day in Washington.
1: Uh, Eventful day. Uh, Sir, this is the most serious health crisis that a president has faced since Ronald Reagan was shot back in 1981. We are 30 days ahead of an election in the midst of an economic crisis, a health crisis. Every intelligence service in the world wants to know how the commander-in-chief is doing. What is his status, and when did you last speak with him?
8: Well, on his status, I spoke with the chief of staff this morning, and the good news is the president feels very well and uh, he actually wants to get back home to the White House and get back to work, but I think he's going to stay at Walter Reed for uh, at least another uh, period of time. Uh, look, I went through this virus myself, as you know Margaret, uh, over the summer. And even if you have no symptoms and I, was, I had uh, very very minor symptoms, uh, Day seven and eight uh, you know are the critical days. so I think the doctors want to make sure that they, they're, they're there for the president and that he's getting the best treatment, uh, but he's doing well. I spoke with them to answer your question on Friday. I was in Geneva holding some talks with the Russian. Uh, team, my my counterpart, uh, uh, General uh, Patrushev and uh, I was able to call the president uh, after he was tested positive to give him an update on the the talks, get his feedback for the afternoon sessions, and he was in good spirits and and was firmly in control.
1: Well, uh, to that point, as you just say, the worst may be ahead, just knowing the course of the virus. Have you uh, and the team discussed a scenario? in which at some point the president might have to transfer power if he can no longer discharge the powers and duties of his office?
8: No, that's not something that's on the table at this point. Again, the president, you saw him on the video but last night. But it may night. be, as uh, you just said. Well, he, look, he, he's doing very well and uh, and just like it could happen to anybody. Uh, but we're prepared. Look, we have a great vice president. Uh, uh, we have a, uh, a government that is steady and is steady at the tiller. Uh, and we'll be briefing the president this afternoon. Uh, General Milley, uh, Secretary Pompeo, myself will be giving him a national security brief uh, uh, this afternoon from from the White House. Here, he'll be at Walter Reed, so we'll do it by secure uh, video conference or secure phone. Uh, so, look, the, the government's doing well, uh, the president's doing well, and I'm not going to address hypotheticals, but but it, we, we do have a uh, uh, we have plans for everything.
1: Okay, because you do know that Presidents Reagan and Bush at one point temporarily signed over power while undergoing medical treatment.
8: So this is. Yes, I I think those were I I know they were colonoscopies. And uh, and and so they were under anesthesia and and weren't uh, weren't available at that time. I think we're in a different situation here. and, And and so far, the president's in great shape. He's firmly in command of the government of the country.
1: Okay, do you know how the president became infected and how widely the virus has spread among the top ranks of our government?
8: You know, uh, there's contact tracing going on. I mean, the first thing I want to do is I just want to... Who is doing know, it? Se- well, the White House Medical uh, Unit and, and, and others in the White House are, are working very hard on, on contact tracing and, and doing all the things that you, you do in these circumstances. And it, just, just like and this has been going on for, for some time with this virus, it's a very nasty, resilient virus. But I want to take a moment, because I know the president watches your show, Margaret, and, and others do, to just extend the, the best wishes of the American people to him and the First Lady, to the senators and, and to my colleagues uh, who have this, uh, you know, again, ha- having went through this myself, uh, you- you're going to get through it, uh, listen to your doctors uh, a- and do all the things they tell them. And, and mm-hmm. look, we've got millions of people around the country fighting the, this COVID infection in the NFL and yeah. in the most controlled environments. And so my my message uh, out to, to, to the president, the first lady, but to all those who are in fact is a message of, of a speedy recovery and be, you know, you'll get through this, just just fight it and, and hang in there.
1: I think the entire country joins you uh, in that sentiment of of hoping that the president does well and that our whole government does. But are are you saying at this point that contact tracing is still underway and you don't yet know how much it has spread among the top ranks?
8: You know, I I, I think what's happening is people are getting tested on a regular basis. I've seen a number of my colleagues here this morning who've tested negative for three or four straight days in a row. Uh, So, you know, if if people test positive... uh, uh, they'll be quarantined, and we'll follow the procedures that the CDC has. And uh, but I can tell you, there 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 are many men and women uh, on the on the watchtower uh, uh, at the Pentagon, at the State Department, here at the White House, making sure that the country's safe. And, and we're we're in, we're in very good shape. We've got a, a great team in place, and the president's mm-hmm. firmly in control.
1: Given continuity of government concerns, should the vice president conter- return to the campaign trail and to the debate stage as he's scheduled to to this week?
8: Well, listen, uh, one of the things I also want to mention, I, I, I appreciate the fact that Vice President Biden uh, came out with and said that he and his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, were praying for the President the First Lady. Uh, this is a time to come together, and, and we're thrilled, and I think all Americans are very happy that the Vice President, uh, his, his family, Senator Harris and her family, have tested negative. Uh, I think there will be very strong. The Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, who I'm in regular contact with, uh, is tested negative along with his family. So <coughs> I think there will be very... Uh, uh, strict protocols in place to protect uh, all the participants in the, ba- the debate, Senator Harris, the yep. vice president. And so I think it's going to be it's going to be a very safe environment for them to, to have a conversation that the American people want to hear. It's an important conversation. We, we've got to deal with this virus. It's here. Yes. It came from China. We can never forget who, who's to blame for it. But we've got to continue to have the conversation so the American people can make a, a big decision uh, at the end of this month. I, I want to ask you, though, how the president was
1: put at such extraordinary risk. He attended a fundraiser Friday the 25th with someone who has since tested positive. He was at indoor and outdoor mass gatherings Saturday the 26th at the White House. Was that the chief of staff's call? I mean, who's responsible for allowing him to be in such close proximity and ultimately get infected?
8: Look, I think the president made this very clear. He's going to continue to run this government, and and we have to face this virus. We have to open up the country. We've got to make sure that America is moving forward. We're not getting left behind by by China or other adversaries, and and in this case, China, which was responsible for the virus. It's very hard, no matter what precautions you take. And as you know, Margaret, I was one of the early proponents uh, with the N.F.C. of wearing masks. I I regularly masked up. Uh, I I social distance, and yet I still... uh, I came into contact with it. This is a very you know, resilient, infectious. nasty... It's highly infectious. Yeah, it's highly infectious,
1: but that would yeah. only seem to indicate that around the president of the United States, you need to be even more careful. So how was he put in these circumstances?
8: Well, well, normally, Margaret, and, and as you know, we had a, a very, very rigorous testing protocol and still do, so that anyone who was going to come within six or eight feet of the president uh, you know, was was tested. And, uh, and, and we did our best. But the president made it clear, as he did last night, that he was going to continue to govern. He was going to continue to run the country in, in the face of this virus. And, and uh, uh, you know, whether it's the NFL, which has strict mm-hmm. protocols or, or college football or college campuses and, that have put up bubbles, This is a resilient nasty virus. We're going to have to stop it, and and we're going to do it with therapeutics. We're going to do it with a vaccine that's going to come out, and we're going to come out on the other side of this stronger.
1: Okay, I'm understanding you saying you still don't know the source of the virus at this point, and the source of the president's infection. Before, though, I I don't want to leave behind something you mentioned. You said you met with Russian officials. Um, Is there any intelligence to suggest that that Russia and others are using the president's diagnosis uh, as any kind of uh, campaign against the United States, um, and given the upcoming election, the interference that we already know that they are conducting, uh, how concerned are you?
8: No, look, look I think our adversaries know that, uh, that the United States government is steady at the, at the tiller and that we're, uh, we're protecting the American people. As with respect to Russia and the elections, one of the reasons I went to meet with General Patrushev is to let him know that there would be absolutely no tolerance for any interference with our election day, with our voting, with the vote tallies. Uh, and, and, and demanded that, uh, that Russia not engage in that sort of thing, the Russians have committed to doing so. And so, uh, you know, look, it's Russia. So as, as President Reagan said and as President Trump often says, uh, it's trust but verify. So we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, but the Russians did commit to not interfering in the elections. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, uh, but that was a message that, we, that the president thought it was important that I go deliver in person mm-hmm. to, to General Patrushev, who, as who's, who's, you know, is, is President Putin's right-hand person.
1: Ambassador O'Brien, let's let's hope they stop doing what they are doing. Thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate you coming on this morning to share
8: an it's update. Al- always great to be with you, Margaret. Thank you.
1: We want to go now to Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. She is just after Vice President Pence in the line of succession. That is the order that elected officials would take over the duties of the presidency if needed. Speaker Pelosi, thank you for joining us. Good morning. Uh, given your important role in leadership how regularly are you being briefed on the president's status and are you satisfied with the level of communication
9: well we're getting our information the way everyone else is in the media uh... but on terms of the succession that's an ongoing process uh... sadly at this time it comes to the forefront but let me just say on this sunday morning our prayers are with the president the first lady and all those who surround him uh, hopefully uh, the extent, the, the tracing, the, con- the contact tracing will give us an idea who needs to be treated so that the toll of this terrible virus is even worse than it is. Uh, the president has the best of care. That's what we want for him and the family. Uh, I've always prayed for the family, mm-hmm. uh, for their safety uh, throughout uh, the presidency, as I have done for all presidents. But it's very—it's pre- he's the president of the United States, We pray for his good health, his speedy recovery, Uh, but I hope it will be a signal that we really have to do better in preventing the spread of this virus. People always ask, what impact will this have on the election? I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is what impact will it be on uh, coming to the table with us and doing what we have to crush the virus, listen to science, have the public-private role that needs to be done to Mm -hmm. crush the virus, and so hopefully and prayerfully. And we we wouldn't pray if we didn't believe there was a chance that there could be uh, an answer. And so I pray that in addition to his health, that the president's heart will be open to the millions of people have been affected, uh, hundreds of thousands of families have suffered a death, and also to recognize uh, that a a preponderance of this uh, of the impact of viruses in communities of color. And don't have the kind of access to care that the president or the rest of us have.
1: I want to ask you about the possibility of providing more aid. But first, can you just clarify, how frequently are you personally being tested and should you be quarantining?
9: No, I was tested, I follow the guidance of our uh, house attending physician. uh, And and, uh, uh, I was tested on Friday, uh, negative, but I also intend to be regularly tested. Uh, I'm pleased with the uh, uh, reliability of the testing in the Capitol. I think it's better than what is at the White House, or else the president might not have been exposed on the basis of a false uh, uh, negative uh, that put him at risk, that may have put him at risk. We don't know where he got it, but we do know that there was a negative test for somebody with close proximity to the president. Is there any reason to
1: believe that the source of the infection was Capitol Hill? Excuse me? Is there any reason to believe that the source of the infection came from Capitol Hill?
9: I have no idea. I've never heard anything okay. like that. I think that the uh, optics of it are that those who were at the White House were the ones who brought uh, the, uh, uh, the virus back to Capitol Hill. But, uh, again, let's look at this in a larger sense of what it means to the American people. We need to have trust. We need to, have to trust that what they're telling us about the president's condition is real. Uh, we have to have confidence in the judgment of the doctors who are uh, treating him that not only do they give a presentation, notice, when they give a presentation to the press, it mm-hmm. has to be approved by the president. That's not very scientific. That's mm-hmm. not very scientific. Uh, so uh, I think this can be a unifying moment for our country. We all pray for the president and his family. We all know that we have to do more to prevent this, to crush yes. this virus. And one way not to do it is to crush the Affordable Care Act, which the uh, Senate is in the process of trying to Has do there, with moving quickly on this uh, the president, a judicial appointment.
1: The president tweeted yesterday that the country needs stimulus. Does that mean yes. that you have come to an agreement or are close no. to a deal on a COVID relief bill?
9: No, it means that we want to see that they will agree uh, on what we need to do to crush the virus so that we can open the economy and open our schools safely. So safe you're no closer than on of Friday a school. When,
1: when that airline we, deal fell apart?
9: Well, th- we try to get that done in the House, but the Republicans objected. But what I said to the uh, airline executives in a public statement is, don't fire the people. You know that relief is on the way, so and it will be retroactive. So let's keep them employed because separate from other industries, when you're fired, when you're let go in the airline industry, uh, it takes months or years to be recertified, mm-hmm. reclassified, all of that security clearances and the rest. Not like if somebody has another kind of a job, they leave, they come back. Uh, so that's a, that makes a difference. But also could that come this week? It just depends on if they understand what we have to do to crush the virus. You can't just say uh, we need uh, we need to do something, but we're going to let the virus run free. Now that's it's even run free in the White House, think of how it is in a poor neighborhood where the president is insisting that children actually go back to school in order to get the funding uh, that he is recommending. These poor it, kids is it are f- largely minority children. People uh, exposed to the virus are largely minority. Uh, everybody's affected, but the, the death toll and the lack of, of testing and tracing in the minority community has had a very negative impact. So we have to be serious about this. One of the, Let me just back up for a second and say this. For a long time, The Republicans in Congress and this president have been anti-science. They don't don't trust science, and they don't believe in governance. So if science says you should be testing, tracing, treating, mask wearing, sanitation, separation, and the rest, and you don't believe in science, and you don't want to govern to to say this is what you have to do, then you have more deaths, more spread of the virus— and, and you can see this even with denial on climate change that we're suffering these fires now. Well, they don't believe in science and they don't want to do anything well, about the Well madam it speaker, what about on governance
1: what about on Capitol Hill since a number of lawmakers on the Senate side that in just the past few days have tested positive. Um, Your Democratic colleague, Chuck Schumer, said this demonstrates the need for testing and contact tracing for everyone who works on Capitol Hill. Do you agree with Senator uh, Schumer, and are you working on that for lawmakers?
9: Well, he has a smaller body than we do on the House side. Uh, my confidence is in our—and uh, I, I appreciate what he's saying. There are others on the House side. Mr. Hoyer saying something similar. Uh, but my confidence in this, uh, uh, respectful of those views, is with the House attending physician who will uh, determine when it is necessary— uh, for us to have testing mm-hmm. that has confidence. There are suggestions about. We have 20,000 employees uh, yes. on Capitol. It's not just about yes. the members of Congress. Uh, we want to be safe Understood. for the press who covers us and the, and the custodians and the workers and the Capitol and the staff. That's so right, it is that uh, perhaps why I was there could be the some. There could be right. some sampling. Let's depend on we have science to. on Madam how Speaker, we deal I'm sorry. with
1: it. I'm sorry to cut you off. We have to uh, take a break here. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you.
9: Yes. Thank you so much. Stay safe.
1: You too.
2: We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by Ph.D. scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking.
1: Coronavirus cases remain persistently high across much of the country, with new infections surging in the upper Midwest and parts of the West. CBS national correspondent Mark Strassman reports.
4: Wisconsin's one state in a state of alarm, America's hottest spot for COVID.
7: It's not slowing down, it's picking up speed. We have got to put the brakes on this pandemic.
4: For COVID cases per capita, three Wisconsin metro areas rank among America's top five. Wisconsin's seven-day positivity rate is sky-high, roughly 22 percent. South Dakota, Mississippi, and Idaho also report positivity rates above 20 percent. 14 states report above 10 percent. In Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer wanted to extend her COVID-19 state of emergency. The state Supreme Court ruled she had gone too far. Here we are, nine months into the worldwide pandemic, and the virus still kills roughly 750 Americans a day. They're in the ICU, all alone, no visitors nowadays, writing goodbye notes to their children. That's not something that's easy to watch. And yet in Florida and South Carolina, these boozy crowds gather in restaurants, operating again at 100% capacity. Hear that crowd noise? It's real. When the University of Georgia played Auburn yesterday, more than 20,000 fans watched, about 25% of stadium capacity. But in the NFL, Cam Newton, the New England Patriots quarterback, tested positive for the virus. Today's marquee matchup, the Patriots against the Kansas City Chiefs, has been postponed until at least tomorrow or Tuesday. Today's scheduled game between the Tennessee Titans and the Pittsburgh Steelers has also been postponed. At least eight Titans players have tested positive. With the virus, the NFL is now playing defense all the time. More positive tests, and the rest of its season could be in jeopardy. Margaret?
1: Thank you, Mark. With all the news that we have today, our battleground tracker results are going to be available to you on cbsnews.com forward slash polls. We'll be back in a minute. Stay with us. Trump is now one of the almost 35 million reported COVID cases worldwide. CBS News senior foreign correspondent Elizabeth Palmer reports from London on how other world leaders are handling the crisis.
10: Good morning. When the news broke that President Trump had COVID, European leaders sent their good wishes, of course, and then almost immediately doubled down on their own precautions. At a summit in Brussels, Germany's Angela Merkel ended up doing some anti-COVID kabuki with Italy's Prime Minister when he got too close. No one has forgotten what happened to the UK's Boris Johnson. Famously casual at the start of the pandemic.
4: I shook hands with everybody, uh, you'll be pleased to know, and I continue to shake hands.
10: He caught COVID in March and almost died. Johnson's back at work now, but colleagues say he still suffers fatigue and shortness of breath. Another famous COVID scoffer was Brazil's Jair Bolsonaro. He refused to wear a mask and called people self-isolating cowards. Bolsonaro caught the virus in July. It was a mild case, though, and he was soon back at work with higher approval ratings in spite of COVID tipping Brazil into recession. It's also one of the three countries worst hit by the pandemic after the U.S. and India, which now leads the way, both in new infections and the number of dead. There's been a dramatic rise in cases in Russia, too, even though scientists there claim their Sputnik V vaccine works. Volunteers may be getting it, but not Vladimir Putin. He's taking no chances. He barely goes out. And though recent military drills were a rare exception, anyone who wants to meet him has to quarantine for two weeks and then go through a special disinfection booth. Here in London, we've just heard from Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who warned Britons that things were going to be what he called bumpy right through Christmas. And from one who's been there, he also said that he thought President Trump was going to be just fine.
1: Margaret? Liz Palmer in London. Thank you. We turn now to former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who joins us from Westport, Connecticut. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Last night, the president released a video of himself at Walter Reed. He spoke for about four minutes. He was able to get through it without being winded. He did sound a little bit hoarse. Uh, Given what's been disclosed publicly at this point, what do you think his status is?
11: It's hard to know. I I, I wouldn't draw too many conclusions from that video. He did look good in the video. Um, This is early on in the course of his illness, so he's not out of the woods. Typically, what we see is in the first week, you have sort of the viral response phase of the infection. And it's that second week when patients sometimes get into trouble. Now, there is some correlation with patients doing well that first week and being less likely to get into trouble that second week when you have that inflammatory response, the post-viral inflammatory response. But there are exceptions. And and I have talked to physicians who've seen patients who did well the first week and still got into trouble. So I think we need to continue to be cautious here with the president uh, and wish him the best.
1: The national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, uh, indicated that, you know, the days ahead could be tough. Day seven. That, that is the uh, course of the virus itself. What do we know about exactly where the president is in the course of his treatment and the disease?
11: So again, it's hard to know based on the information that they've disclosed. It sounds like he might have become symptomatic on Wednesday. And so the president probably became infected sometime on Friday or Saturday at one of one of the events that he was at. And people are focusing on this Supreme Court event on Saturday. It could have been two introductions here. So the first generation of spread could have been either on Friday or Saturday or both. And then now we're seeing these, this is, these are second generation cases. The president, Hope Hicks, the first lady, we're going to start to see third-generation cases probably appear maybe Sunday, maybe today, and maybe early this week. People were, who are were infected by the people who are currently diagnosed. So the president does appear to be, you know, about three to four days into sort of a symptomatic phase right now, if you believe he became symptomatic on Wednesday. So he still has time to go until I think he's out of the woods.
1: The CDC is not conducting the contact tracing. Washington, D.C. is not. The National Security Advisor said the White House was doing it, um, but that he was unable to pinpoint the source of the infection. How important is it to pin that down?
11: Look, I think they have an obligation. This is the president of the United States. This was a gathering of high level officials. I think they have an obligation to understand how the infection was introduced into that environment. They might not be able to pinpoint it, but they should be very aggressive in a forensic analysis right now to try to find what the source of the infection was and see who brought it into that environment. And that's going to be important also to understand who else could be at risk. Are there any people who came out of that event who could be asymptomatic right now and should go get tested to make sure they're not continuing to spread it to other officials? There doesn't seem to be a very concerted effort underway. I've talked to a number of officials who are at that event on Saturday, and a lot of focus is around that event as one of the potential places where the introduction was made. And they haven't been called yet by contact tracers. So that's concerning.
1: That is concerning, because that suggests potential further spread. Um, Speaker Pelosi mentioned she had concerns about the type of testing that had been used at the White House. Uh, You warned on this program back on May 10th that the Abbott Labs test that the White House was relying on was not sufficient to detect asymptomatic spread of COVID-19. Is it a matter of technology? Why did the procedures fail?
11: Well, look, the Abbott test is a very good test when used appropriately. You have to fit the right test to the right purpose. The White House was relying almost solely on testing as a way to protect the president. They needed a zero-fail testing protocol because they weren't taking any precautions beyond testing people who were going to be in contact with the president. And that requires multiple layers of testing. If you want a, something close to a zero-fail testing protocol and you're never going to be able to achieve 100%, you would probably be needing to use a PCR-based test at the point of entry at the White House. So the Cephy gene expert probably would be more fit to purpose. But frankly, you'd need double layers of testing. You'd probably want to test people before they depart for the White House and then test them again when they arrive. And even that wouldn't be 100 percent, but it would get you closer. Using these kinds of tests, and now using the Binax as well, the antigen-based tests, um, and, and the Abbott ID now, using that to screen an asymptomatic population to try to detect virus, you might only have 50% sensitivity, perhaps a little bit better than that. And who makes but that But you're going to let through some people who are infected.
1: Who makes that call?
11: Well, I think... Im- I think it was the White House physician. I know that concerns about the testing machines that were being used were raised to the White House at various points. Uh, I think the White House physician weighed in on that. I don't know who else weighed in on that, but I think they need to reassess those protocols. Frankly, you shouldn't just be relying on testing alone. You should be taking other steps on the compound. And the other thing to remember is the only people who are getting routinely tested were people who are going to be around the president. So Mm -hmm. staff was not getting routinely tested. So it's possible to get the virus onto the compound, um, and then from there, you could have an outbreak within the White House compound.
1: Uh, some members of the president's inner circle, uh, as you said, may still be at risk. Um, the vice president, is he in the clear yet?
11: Anyone who is with the president on Tuesday, Wednesday, um, is not in the clear. I mean, anyone who is with any of the people who are currently infected earlier this week, they were probably at their peak. Uh, contagion at that point. So typically, you're most contagious about 24 hours before the onset of symptoms. So the debate prep on Tuesday is a source of potential third-generation spread. Uh, The meeting of the GOP, the Senate GOP on Wednesday, is a source of third-generation spread. We'll likely see more cases emerge, unfortunately, early this week from the people who are currently infected who went on to infect other people. So this is still very much an evolving situation. Now, look, we hope not. Um, And there are situations where there is no further propagation, but it's more than likely that you will see additional cases of third generation spread.
1: We will continue to update the public. Uh, Dr. Gottlieb, thanks as always for your insight. We'll be right back.
6: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash adfreenewspodcasts. That's Amazon.com slash adfree news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: LabCorp was the first commercial lab to offer COVID-19 diagnostic testing in March. CEO Adam Schechter joins us this morning from New Hope, Pennsylvania. Good morning to you.
7: Good morning, Margaret. Thanks for having me here today. Sure.
1: Um, You know, we heard that the president uh, reportedly did take a PCR test, that kind of gold standard test, to confirm his initial diagnosis. Um, How reliable are the the different testing platforms that we're talking about?
7: Sure, there's really three types of tests. There's the PCR test, as you mentioned. That test, it searches for the genetic material of the virus, it's seen as the gold standard. But it does take time to get the results for that test. When we receive a test, it takes us about 24 hours on average to return the results. The second test is an antigen test. That test you can do typically without machinery, and that test looks for a protein on the surface of the virus. It's less accurate than the PCR test, but it's certainly a good test for surveillance and trying to understand where the disease is. And the third type of test is an antibody test, which is a blood test. The first two are nasal swabs, typically. Mm -hmm. The blood test searches for antibodies in your blood. That tells you if you've had the virus in the past.
1: Is uh, the kind of tool that the White House was using, these rapid tests, is that sufficient to detect the virus in asymptomatic people, in your view?
7: Yes. So the type of test that the White House was using, the Abbott test, is a PCR test, but it's not running as many iterations as the PCR test that we run. I think it's an acceptable test to try to screen for people, but is certainly not sufficient. There's no doubt that people should continue to wear masks, socially distance, practice good hygiene, even if they have a negative result from that test.
1: So for LabCorp, you said that you can turn around a test within 24 hours. But as the country well knows, you know, this summer during that uptick in particular in July, there were backlogs for far longer than that. What do you need to do to avoid those backlogs as we get into the fall and winter?
7: Yeah, we've been building capacity since March of last year. We started from scratch. We were able to do two to 3,000 tests per day. We can now do over 200,000 tests per day. On average, we're receiving about 100,000 samples per day. So we have additional capacity, but we're not stopping there. We're building more and more capacity. At the same time, we need people to do their part as we go into flu season, get flu vaccinations, socially distance, wear masks, practice good hygiene. Uh, I believe that we are all preparing for that season. Uh, We also launched a combined test where you can test with one nasal swab, a combination of flu, RSV, and also COVID.
1: But but, as you say, you're hoping to stay ahead of the curve this time. Um, The testing companies like yours receive about $100 per test from the current government program. If your company can't turn around results in two days, which is what Dr. Fauci says is necessary to actually be useful... Why should your company be paid?
7: So we are doing everything we can to turn around those results as fast as possible. Every one of our 65,000 LabCorp employees around the world are working day and night. Our labs are open seven days a week, running 24 hours a day. There's no reimbursement that's going to cause us to move faster than we can. We want to move as fast as we possibly can. These are our friends, our families, our neighbors. So we're doing everything to have the best turnaround as possible. But I would say that as the turnaround time is longer, the usefulness of the tests, particularly for tracking and tracing, is less. There's no doubt about it. But I disagree That it's useless after two days because if you find out in three days that you don't have the virus and you're feeling better and can go back to work, that's better than having to quarantine for 10 days.
1: Right. Well, as we've learned, some people, including lawmakers, are not quarantining even though they are taking tests at the same time. So are you saying clearly that LabCorp does not anticipate a backlog if we see infections continue to rise in the U.S.? Can you avoid what happened this summer?
7: Right now, So we are building capacity every single day. We're at 200,000 tests a day right now, and we will not stop. We are buying every machine we can, getting as much reagent as we can, doing everything we can to prepare for the flu season. But I really do encourage people to help us by getting the flu shot, by practicing social distancing. Masks work. We know they work. Mm -hmm. So if we do all those things, I think we're going to be in a good position going into the flu season.
1: All right. Mr. Schechter, thank you very much. We'll be back in a moment with some thoughts from voters across the country.
6: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
2: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates
6: that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: One of our favorite ways to talk to voters in an election year is through a focus group. And this year, like millions of other Americans, we're talking on Zoom. Friday night, we spoke with three Biden supporters and three Trump supporters about the president's diagnosis.
12: It's probably an eye-opener for him.
1: What do you mean an eye-opener for him?
12: Sometimes I wonder whether, you know, enough people take the virus seriously, I guess. And you think he hasn't? I'm a mask believer. I really believe in masks, and I guess I wish masks were, from the get-go, we were all suggested to use it.
1: Thomas, you're out in Ohio. I know you were also uh, a supporter of the president.
3: When I heard that he had coronavirus, um, I guess I I wasn't surprised. I've always thought from the beginning of this pandemic that we'd all end up being exposed to it at some point.
1: Jill, you live um, in Houston, Texas. Uh, and in that area, masks did become a, a big political battle.
12: I wasn't surprised um, because I'm in the healthcare field. I know the importance of being protected. And I was really surprised that he ever thought it was okay to not wear a mask or that he ever even encouraged people not to. Uh, it was concerning to me. So I can't say that I was surprised when I found out.
1: JR, you're in Georgia. Uh, where this, this also became heavily politicized?
5: Well, I'm a firm believer in karma. Uh, I just am. Um, the president just has never taken this seriously. He said that he has the best genes. He's going to be the healthiest president. There is no evidence of that. I mean, just by his physical appearance. And I'm sad, saddened that he's in the hospital right now. I really am. But, I mean, this is of his own doing. And he should have taking every precaution, because he knew about it before we did, and he didn't tell us.
1: You were a Trump supporter.
5: Oh, no, I'm no no longer—I try to give him a chance. I mean, but our country is in peril. We're at our knees, and people are not taking this seriously. I mean, it sounds like a whole different country. It's not only sound like the United States, it sounds like some other country. And we're going through all of this. It's just—it's so sad.
1: It is sobering news today. Um, Lori, you live outside Nashville, Tennessee. When it comes to the president's health, are you trusting the news you're receiving? Um, Yeah, I don't have any reason to believe that we're not being told the truth about that. Um, I also think, at least in my own circles, people I know and care about, I know some people who this didn't start
12: to hit home for them until someone they know and loved contracted it themselves. And so that may be the case here that just seeing someone prominent who has
1: it may change the way you feel about the public health recommendations. I hope that it will. Can I see a show of hands um, from those of you who believe that the news of the president's illness will affect the presidential campaign? Will it affect votes? Jill, why do you think this will affect votes?
12: Knowing that he now has the virus, And all the people that maybe went out and supported him that maybe went to rallies and did things and didn't wear masks, maybe they feel a little betrayed. So it may, it may, it may affect a few people. Juan, do you feel you've been misled?
2: Not in the least bit. He told us from the beginning. He tried to be positive, but he never lied to us. He said people are dying. China lied, people died. Um, Bad things happen. It's it's a horrible, horrible virus. My wife's uncle's wife, (laughs) died, uh, way at the very beginning in, in March. So we knew it was serious and, and I don't think he ever lied to us. He was trying to pump us up and try to keep us positive, um, while the experts are giving you the nuts and bolts of what was going on.
1: CBS has been doing a lot of research and, and polling. And one of our recent polls showed that a majority of Republicans, um, 57% 57% told us that the death count from COVID-19 is an acceptable number. Tom, are you one of the Republicans who thinks that the the current death count is
3: acceptable? I do think it's acceptable. When we were faced with the initial estimates of anywhere from 2 to 4 million people dying in this pandemic... Um, Where did you
1: hear those estimates?
3: That was the start when we... when All right, so when everything started percolating when it came to the virus, um, I mean, the news was very dire out of China when they started, but I think that we had very little information to go on. And so was it a desperate situation? Well, it wasn't presented to us that way. The worst case scenario Was anywhere from two to four million people dying with this pandemic. But you're talking a country of of almost 350 million people here, okay? And so 200,000, it's too many. Yes, it's too many, but. When you start thinking about what could have been and what the initial estimates for the percentage of people that would die with this virus, I think our healthcare workers did an incredible job helping people here. And so, you know, hats off to them because they really stepped up and took care of people and the therapeutics have helped.
1: And I should have mentioned that you are in Ohio. Um, where you say you are seeing a, a lower number right now. Will all of you get a vaccine? How many of you will get a vaccine when it is approved by the FDA? Jill, you're a healthcare worker. You're not going to get a vaccine?
12: Absolutely not, because until it is done properly and tested properly and all the proper research is done, I am not going to be a guinea pig. Because basically that's what they're going to be doing because by rushing it and by trying to, you know, say, okay, we've got the vaccine, everything's back to normal. All they're doing is they're going to be testing it on humans and I will not be a human testing me. KR, I,
1: I understand that you lost a number of family members to COVID-19.
5: Oh uh, yeah. I actually have someone who's in the hospital now. Um, well, get, given test-
1: that and what you know, why wouldn't you go for a vaccine?
5: Well, um, Y'all heard of the Tuskegee experiment, right? And I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist person, but I'm reluctant to put anything in my body that I don't know what it is.
1: What would change your mind? What would make you believe it's safe?
5: 290 million people took it and they were fine.
1: Jill, you were shaking your head yes when J.R. said he was skeptical and he specifically mentioned the Tuskegee experiments.
12: yes. I mean, you have to—you have to admit that. I mean, we have a right to kind of feel that way after what was done um, during that experiment. And who's to say anybody would be fair to us now? You know, or I mean, when you say and, and us, I'm not we, that,
1: when you say to African African-American, Americans,
12: yeah. Um, and I'm not a person that normally thinks that way, but I mean, you when I look at everything going on in the world now and all the racial divide and everything, it just makes me a little bit less trusting.
5: I agree with Jill, exactly the same. I just feel like, you know, African-Americans, people of color, at first thought that, hey, we weren't going to get this disease. And now we're finding that, hey, we're one of the essential targets of this disease and we're bearing the brunt of this disease. I literally have people who have died from this disease that I know. And and someone's in intensive care right now, and my heart's breaking. So for me to take this vaccine that they're going to push out faster than than anything that I've ever heard of, they still haven't found a vaccine for AIDS. Mm-hmm. I'm I, and how are you going to put out a vaccine in less than a year? That it really just I cannot understand that. It doesn't compute in my mind. I'm sorry.
1: And you can see a lot more of our conversation with the focus group on our website at facethenation.com. We'll be right back.
6: Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures
7: to treat cataracts.
1: A new CBS News documentary looks at the effect of the virus on Asian Americans in the U.S. It is called Asian Americans Battling Bias, and it will air this Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on CBSN, CBS News' 24-7 streaming service. To watch it, download the free CBS News app. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien. House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, former FDA Commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, and LabCorp CEO, Adam Schechter. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday.
4: Many put their hope in Dr. Serhat. His company was worth half a billion dollars. His research promised groundbreaking treatments for HIV
2: and cancer. Scientists, doctors, renowned experts were saying, genius, genius, genius.
3: People that knew him were convinced that he saved their life.
2: But the brilliant doctor was hiding a secret. Do not cross this line that was being messaged to us. Do not cross this line. A secret
11: the doctor was desperate to keep. This was a person who was willing to
6: cold-heartedly just lie to people's faces. We're
4: dealing with an international fugitive. From Wondery, the makers of Over My Dead Body and The Shrink Next Door comes a new season of Dr. Death bad magic. You can listen to Dr. Death bad magic ad free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple podcasts.
10: Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode.